that. I want you to take your Bible and turn to two places this morning. First Timothy chapter 4 and Luke chapter 2. In that order, First Timothy chapter 4 and Luke chapter 2. This is the last Sunday, as I mentioned, of 2018, and I want to bring up an appropriate message as we're on the cusp of a new year. One of my passions uh, that I've had from my teenage years is that of learning. I learned, uh, love to learn, and I want to reach the potential that God has given to me. And the truth is, I don't know what that is, and neither do you. You don't know what your potential is. But whatever it is, it's greater than what you know than it is. And because of that, we ought to always be uh, learning and growing and developing. One of the things I like to do is, is collect definitions. You know, words mean things. Now, that's kind of a self-evident thing. But we traffic in words so much, we, we don't stop to think about what we're saying. We're not good communicators because we don't, we don't think well. And so I, I don't just think about what words mean, but what concepts mean. And one of the uh, definitions that I, I try to collect is, is success. Now, the definition that I've given to you most often is the one that I believe is dearest to my heart. Uh, the pastor at the First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas, many years ago, that success is finding God's will as early in life as possible, and then doing it. I love that definition. Finding the will of God as early in life as possible, and then doing it. That's success. But I'm going to give you another definition this morning. I like this one. It has three aspects. Success is knowing my purpose in life, growing to reach my maximum potential, and sowing seeds that benefit others. Now, that's not just clever because it rhymes. I I like that. It's knowing my purpose, why God put me here, growing to meet my potential that God has given to me, and then sowing seeds that benefit others. So I know why God has put me here, and then I'm fulfilling that purpose to the best of my ability, and then I'm serving others to the best of my ability. Now, if you accept that, and I believe that has a biblical foundation, then that means that success is not a destination. It's not a place, but it's a journey. Until the day that you die, you'll be fulfilling your purpose, and you'll be growing into that purpose and developing that purpose, and you will be sowing seeds to help other people. And because of that, Even from my earliest years, when I didn't know all of my purpose, I I think at the age now, I I hope I've got that one down. Um, I began to read books on different topics that uh, dealt with that purpose. I I still do that, a broad depth of books that will help me accomplish that purpose, not just things that interest me, some of those things. But most of those things are to help bolster my purpose and reach my potential. I find people that are faster, quicker, smarter, further ahead, have more experience. And I ask them questions and I interview them. Uh, We will have uh, people here to to speak to us. and um, I will have questions on a little three or five card 
we'll have, have some time, I'll ask them on who influenced your life. What books have you read that have helped you? What were the key events in your life that transformed your life? How do you handle failure? Just different things that, that will, will help me. I was trying to figure this out, and there's no way to handle this. Paula could probably tell you more than I could. But I, I, I would conservatively say that I have listened to, to thousands of cassette tapes and CDs. And some of you teenagers, and you don't know what a cassette tape is. If you'll see me after the service, I'll show you one. I have some in my office. And you can still listen to those, actually. But uh, uh, my, my brother used to make fun of me because of all the, the cassette tapes I, I had in my car. Now you can listen to a podcast. That's what most people are familiar with, and I listen to those. You can even uh, Google uh, free college courses and free seminary courses and, and find courses that people pay thousands of dollars for. I'm talking about quality courses. I find these, and, and I'll uh, take them. You, you can't get credit for them, but you benefit from them. I send them to my friends. I'll say, hey, here's a, here's a great, great course that I'm taking. I, I thought you might benefit from it. I don't know how many of them listen to it, and that's okay. That's, that's up to them. I guess here, here's what I'm trying to say. There's no excuse to be stale. No excuse. Uh, I, I'll be very honest with you. I, I don't understand why people want to be stagnant. Now, I'm not talking about being Einstein or being intelligent. I'm talking about being stagnant. I have a hard time. And, and forgive me because it's going to sound a little harsh. I have a hard time being around somebody that's just stagnant. They're just boring. They just want to talk about the weather. And just want to, they haven't had a new idea in a year. Now I'll talk to them. And I love them because God loves them. But I, I want someone that, that inspires me. I want someone that's going to help shape me. I want someone that's going to stir me, someone that's going to inform me, someone that's going to help me. And I don't think that's selfish. Because if, if success is knowing my purpose and growing to my maximum potential and sowing seeds that benefit others, then I need to become the, purpose, the person that I want to be. And part of that is gathering material, idea, and concepts to help me to become that person. Now, this is the time of year, and this is what I want to talk to you about this morning, about personal growth. Personal growth. That people want to make personal changes. There's some psychology in this. I thought about talking to you about it, but I figured it'd be a waste of time, so I backed out of that, about why it is. But people want to make personal changes. I read that uh, I thought the number would be higher but half of adults make New Year's resolutions. I thought more than that would, but 50% of adults make concrete resolutions. The top four resolutions, I was telling Jake last night, um, he said, what are you going to be speaking about? And I told him, I said, you know, they're, they're the four top resolutions. He said, I bet I know two of them, and he gave them to me. The number one resolution is losing weight. Number two is to exercise more. Number three is to quit smoking. And number four is to save money. Those are the top four that people make. 
Now listen to this. Listen carefully. Your growth, your personal growth, and I'm going to explain that term. Don't be afraid of that term. Okay? Your personal growth will determine the level of impact that you have. I believe that. I believe that. I have a conviction about that, and it's biblical. I'll show you in a minute. Your personal growth will determine the level of impact you do or do not have. Now, you cannot give what you do not have. As a parent, you cannot give your children what you do not have. You cannot take someone where you have not been, and you cannot pour from an empty bucket. And there's a lot of preachers, there's a lot of parents, there's a lot of, quote, mentors that aren't mentoring anybody because... They're not growing. They're not developing. They got a diploma. They graduated from high school. They went to college. And they said, well, my learning is over. To me, the advantage of going to school is is to to learn how to learn, to learn how to grow so that I can can get more. So here's the key idea of the message this morning. Then I'm going to put some hooks on it so when you leave, it'll help you a little bit. That my growth enables me to increase my impact. And that's why I want to grow. It's not about admiration. It's not about respect. It's not about competition. It's not about those worldly things. It's to give me a cutting edge so that I can reach my potential. So that I can sow more effective seeds. So I can be a better dad. So I can be a better friend. I can be a better pastor. I can be the man that God wants me to be. Now, Paul wrote to Timothy. Timothy was a young spiritual leader. And one of the things that he told him to pay attention to was his personal growth. And here's what he said. He said, I'm going to give you the essence of it, and then we'll look at the text. He said, Timothy, your, your congregation will only grow as you do. If you're not growing, they're not going to grow. That's what he said. Notice in your Bible in 1 Timothy chapter 4, notice in verse 14. Paul said, Timothy, neglect not the gift that is in thee. That's your calling, what God has called you to do. Your teaching gift, your pastoral gift, which was given you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands by the presbytery. And watch what he says here. Meditate upon these things. Now, these are important words here. I want you to stop. I want you to soak in that gift. He didn't just say use it, go out and use it. There's a time to use it. But I want you to think about it. Give thyself wholly to them. W-H-O-L-L-Y. Give yourself to it. I had homiletics when I was 19 years old. That's the science of preaching. Almost every day of my life, not quite every day, but I, I, probably five out of seven days of every week, I read something on teaching or preaching or communication because I want to be the best I can be. In the first place, I know that I'm not naturally good at it. And if I'm going to be the best I can be, not as good as other people, but the best I can be, then I'm going to have to, I need God's help. And I want to fill my mind and my heart, and I listen to things. My wife knows this is true. Timothy, give yourself wholly to these things. Now, why? Now, here it is. That thy profiting, that thy profiting may appear to all. Now, the word profiting there means progress. And the word has this idea. It means 
to advance through territory that has that is fresh, that that's never been conquered before. It's fresh territories. You've never been there before, and you're making fresh progress. And he said, Timothy, as you meditate upon these things, as you give yourself wholly to them, you will profit. You're going to grow in areas you haven't grown before, but it's going to appear to other people, to everybody. But you're not doing it for that purpose. You're doing it because God has called you to do this, but the, the byproduct of that is you're going to have profit. Now, continue reading. Take heed, I'm going to misread the text. Take heed unto the church. Take heed unto your class. It's not what he says. And he's talking to Tim as a preacher. He says, he says, Timothy, take heed unto yourself first and unto the doctrine. That means unto the Word of God, the teaching of the Scriptures. Before you get up in the pulpit, make sure you've had time alone with the Lord. Before you, you open the Bible, make sure you've studied the Bible. Make sure you know the Bible. You take heed unto yourself. You can't get anybody else to grow if you're not growing. That's what he's saying. You, you can't pour anything out of an empty bucket. Continue in them. These are disciplines. For, for in doing this, when you do this, Tim, two things. Number one, you'll save yourself. You'll sanctify yourself. And you'll sanctify them that hear thee. That is a powerful text. That's a powerful text. Now listen, your growth will determine the breadth and depth of your influence. Do you believe that? This is a biblical, this is biblical concepts. Biblical teaching. Your personal growth will determine the breadth and depth of your influence. Now you hear a whole lot of, of, of teaching on, on personality and charisma and, and behave this way and dress for success and act like it. And it all deals with the external stuff. Okay? Act like this and act excited and so forth. And people will follow you. Somebody said that your credentials will open the door. But your character will keep the door open. You better have something on the inside. Your personal growth, what's happening on the inside of your heart and in your mind, will determine the breadth and depth of your influence. Now, now let me give you a little philosophy that that I've lived by. When I was a youth pastor, for, for decades I believed this. That if I will take care of the depth of my life, God will take care of the breadth of my ministry. Now, I've been here for a third of a century. And, and I've never tried to, to broaden the ministry. That's God's work. And in a sense, it's God's work to take care of the depth of my life. But I do have responsibilities, and we're going to talk about those in the, this morning in a few minutes. But if I will take care of the depth of my life, God will take care of the breadth of my ministry. Now, as an aside, let me mention this quickly. This is not only about helping me to increase my impact, but also to help me to prepare For the judgment seat of Christ. You know what the judgment seat of Christ is? The judgment seat of Christ is when you stand before Jesus as a Christian. It's just for believers. And you give account for your works that you have done. And you will receive a reward because salvation is a gift. 
you will receive a reward based on those gifts that he has given to you. Now watch this. In, in, in some strange way, and I can't fully explain this, so I'll just say it. At the judgment seat, you will meet yourself. But you will meet the person you could have been. You will meet the potential that you could have been. Can I tell you something? I'm not looking forward to the judgment seat. Now, you may be. I'm not. But I tremble when I think about who I could have been and who God wanted me to be. But how, how short I have fallen of that standard. Success is knowing God's purpose for my life, sowing seeds that benefit others, and then growing to, to the full potential of my life. So how does the Bible address personal growth? And so I want to talk to you for a few minutes on personal growth principles from the Word of God. Now, when I use personal growth, I want to mention this quickly. I, I'm talking about the way that God accomplishes His work in and through you. Those of you that have had psychology in school, you studied a man named Maslow, and he had a triangle. And at the top was actualization. That means you you reach your full potential. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about humanism or actualization. Or, or I'm not. I'm not dealing with that. So so erase that from your mind. This is when I use personal growth. I'm not even on that page. When I use the term personal growth, I'm talking about the way that God accomplishes his work in and through you as you become the person that God wants you to be. Personal growth is not something you do in this message for selfish means or discover fulfillment, but something that you can do and be to reach your potential so you can fulfill the will of God and please him. And grow the kingdom of God. Now notice in Luke chapter 2 and verse 52 what it says about the Lord Jesus, if you would. Luke chapter 2 and verse 52. I want to focus on just one word there and then we'll come back to the text later. The Bible says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. I want you to notice the Bible there says, And Jesus increased. And Jesus increased. He was a young man here. He was not even a teenager. And the Bible says that Jesus made progress. That means that he was not in the same place that he was before, that Jesus grew in these four areas. And even though he was God, he was man, and that being Christ-like, like Jesus, demands that we increase. Uh, do you yearn for more faith? Uh, this past year, did you have the faith uh, that God wanted you to have? I didn't. The disciples cried out to Jesus in Luke chapter 17 and verse 5. The apostle said unto the Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith. Uh, friends, you can have more faith this morning. Faith can move mountains. Do you need more faith? You can have more faith. Do you want to be more like Jesus? In John chapter 3 and verse 30, John the Baptist spoke of the Lord Jesus and said, He must increase. Jesus must increase. But I must decrease. Do you want Jesus to increase in your life? 
and you to decrease, you can have more Christ-likeness in your life. Do you want to grow in love and, and, and decrease in selfishness? The Apostle John, or excuse me, the Apostle Paul prayed for the Thessalonians. In fact, he prayed for many people this prayer, but I'll just isolate one verse here. First Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 12. And he said, And the Lord make you, watch this, to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men. I want you to love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. I want you to love lost people. I want you to love everybody. I want you to increase and abound in love. Are you tired of being selfish? Do you need to increase in love? Do you need to increase in your knowledge of God? I'm not talking about knowledge of facts, but knowing God personally. In a prayer in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 10, when Paul prayed, he said, I'm praying that you would be increasing in the knowledge of God. Uh, May 2019 be a year when you you know the Lord better than you've ever known Him before. Some of you have, have hit a ceiling there. Some of you are not growing in your knowledge of God. You can increase there. Do you need to grow spiritually? The secret to that is growing in the Word of God. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 2. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word, that you may grow thereby, that is by the Word, that you may grow as Christians. Are you satisfied with your spiritual state in life? Do you want to grow spiritually? You've got to get in the Word of God. And then do you need more grace? I need more grace. Just in recent weeks, I've needed more of the grace of God. Paul prayed, excuse me, Peter prayed for folks in Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. He said, but grow in grace. But grow in grace. Growing grace. You see, these are, these are positive things that you can increase in. These are good things. But many of us are going in the wrong direction. We're going in the backwards. Jeremiah spoke of Israel in Jeremiah chapter 5 and verse 6. Notice the last line there of the verse when he says, Their transgressions are many and their backslidings are increased. They're not just backslidden. They're increased in their backsliding. They're getting worse. They're not just sinning, but they're getting worse in their sinning. In fact, he says that in Jeremiah chapter 30 and verse 14. Again, notice the last line. Thy sins were increased. You're not just sinning, but you're getting worse in your sins. You see... Being a Christian is like flying a plane. Uh, you can't be neutral. You're either going up or you're going down. Because, because if, you, if you're not flying, and the laws of gravity without the, the, the supernatural, I'll use that term expression with the, with the engines going, I'll let that represent the power of God propelling you forward. When the engine's out, you're going down. You're not just going to fly neutral. There's no plateau. You're going up or you're going down. Jeremiah chapter 13 and verse 23. Ask a question. Can the Ethiopian? It's a rhetorical question. Obvious answer. 
Can the Ethiopian change his skin? Or the leopard his spots? Then may ye also do good that are accustomed to do evil. In other words, you can't do good because you're accustomed to do evil. You need to be born again. And there may be someone here this morning, you're not a Christian, and you've tried and you've tried and you've tried and you've tried to do good, but you can't do good. You can't increase in those other areas because you've never been saved. The starting point of, of uh, these growth principles, you, you can't grow till you have life. You've, you've got to be born again. There needs to be the new birth. Years ago, Howard Hendricks, who passed away several years ago, wrote a book called Teaching to Change Lives. And in his book, he, he made this little paragraph, just a few sentences. Listen to this. He said, if you would, please grab a pen and write down something in the margins on this page, your answer to this question. How have you changed lately? In the last week, let's say, or the last month, or the last year. Can you be very specific, or must your answer be incredibly vague? You say you're growing. Okay, how? Well, you say in all kinds of ways. Okay, great. Name one. You see, effective teaching comes only through a changed person. The more you change, the more you become an instrument of change in the lives of others. If you want to become a change agent, you also must change. And I agree with him. That's what Paul was telling Timothy in 1 Timothy 4. Growing people impact people. Now, what are some of these personal growth principles? Let me give them to you. Hopefully, this will help you grow this coming year. Number one, growth is God's plan for us. Growth is God's plan for us. God wants you to grow. This is part of his plan. He didn't just save you and leave you here so you could go to heaven. He saved you here so that you could grow and you can develop. Now listen carefully. I I believe growth demands change. But all change is not growth. Now listen carefully because this is stated in in a very intentional way. All improvement requires change, but all change is not improvement. All improvement requires change, but all change is not improvement. There's a lot of stuff going around today that says, well, we're making a lot of changes. And on the surface, it looks like it's improvement. And when you, when you improve, you will change. So I believe in change. But I don't believe in change just for change's sake. Because I need to put that up here at the front. Because it's God's will. This is one of the principles. It's God's will that we grow. God wants you to grow, which implies change. But God doesn't want you to just go out there and start changing things. As a parent, you need to say, now, is this improvement or is it just change for change's sake? Is it rooted in biblical values? As a church, is this change for change's sake or is this rooted in biblical values? As a preacher, the way that I preach, is this change for change's sake or is it rooted in biblical values? The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 21, My son, fear thou the Lord and the king, and meddle not with them that are given to change. 
One of Satan's M.O.s and his strategy is to accommodate change. He's real big with that. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 through 15. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves, changing themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel for Satan himself, here's the word again, transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his minister, Satan has preachers, and here's the third time the word is used, if his preachers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. All improvement requires change, but all change is not improvement. See, God wants to improve you from the inside out. He wants to change your character. He wants to change your spirit. Not just your destination. Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. God wants to change your heart. He wants to change your character. Now, I'm not going to know this fully until I get to heaven. He's going to change my heart fully. He's going to change my body. There will be a full change. Job said in Job 14, 14, If a man die, shall he live again? He said, All the days of my appointed time will I wait till my change come. He's looking forward to that time. He didn't even fully understand the doctrine of the resurrection. He just believed it. He said, There's coming a time when I'm going to change. My, my, my body won't ache. My back won't hurt anymore. I won't get headaches. I won't have these physical problems. I won't be prone to sin anymore. God will change my sin nature. Philippians 3.20 says, We look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 3.21, Who shall change. Jesus will change our vile body, that it may be a glorious body, like unto His glorious body. He'll change us. You'll get a new body. But most of all, you'll get a new spirit to match that body. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 and 52. I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall not all die. But we shall all be changed when the rapture happens. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound. And the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall, we shall be changed at that moment. Just, just quicker than that, you'll have a new body. Your spirit will be changed. You won't want to sin anymore. You won't get angry anymore. You won't get impatient anymore. You won't hate anymore. You won't be bitter anymore. You won't get hurt anymore. God will change you. But until that time, you have to grow. And in the present time, God is changing me. And he's more concerned about my character than he is my comfort. So he allows trials to come into my life to change me. And he, and he puts me in the classroom. And he gives me this curriculum of hardship and adversity. And these things come into my life to change me. The Bible says, you know this verse, it's one of my favorite verses, Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. 
to them who are the called according to his purpose. All things work together. Things are working together. And what does that mean? There's changes. There's external changes in my life. All things, the negative things too. Death, heartache, getting fired, getting passed over for promotion, disappointment. All of these these difficulties, and they change me. They work together. James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers or diverse temptations, knowing this is the trying of your faith. And here it is again. Worketh patience is working on me. It's changing me. These problems bring about the process of change. You know, when I'm comfortable, I'm not interested in my potential. I'm, I'm interested in my comfort. So God makes me uncomfortable. God told Israel, and he gave him a metaphor of a picture of a, of a mother eagle. When she would come and she would um, feather up her nest and take leaves, she would build the nest. And sometimes it would have uh, these briars and stuff from the, the different uh, pieces of wood she would put in there and, and limbs. And then she would take some, some of the leaves and so forth and, and feathers and make it soft so that when the, the chicks came forth from, the, I guess, with an eaglet, uh, when they would be born, that they would be comfortable. But as they begin to grow, watch this, as they begin to grow and they begin to develop, they got comfortable in that environment. But do you know what the mother eagle would do then? The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 32, notice in verse 11, As an eagle stirreth up her nest. She stirs up her nest. She begins to pull away the feathers. And she pulls away the leaves that those eaglets are comfortable with. And all of a sudden they begin to feel the thorns. And the thistles, and they get uncomfortable. Now, they're old enough to fly now, but they don't want to fly because they're comfortable. And then they get up right on the precipice, right up on the edge of of that little nest. And the Bible says this. She stirreth up her nest, and she fluttereth over her young, and spreadeth forth her wings, and she taketh them and beareth them on her wings. And they've documented this where that the, the mother eagle will come and she will literally knock them off and force them to fly. And then she will come up as they take their first flights. And then she will catch them on the tip of her wing and fly them back up until they learn to fly. But first it begins with a moment of discomfort. You see, personal growth it's part of God's plan for your life, and it involves discomfort. The Bible says it's God that takes personal responsibility for growing me. I have a responsibility. We'll look at that in a moment. But God takes responsibility for this. Second Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18, We all with open face, beholding as in a glass or a mirror, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image, that is the image of Jesus, From glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. By the Spirit of the Lord. 
The Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and makes me like the Son of God. One of the key evidences of salvation is spiritual growth. An evidence of life is growth. Are you growing? Have you grown recently? Hendricks asked the question, have you changed? Has there been a change in your life? Is there any growth? What direction are you going in? Mark chapter 4 and verse 8, And other fell on good ground, and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased, and increased. Now, there's a difference in the fruit bearing there, some 30, some 60, and some 100, but there is an increase. There's a growth, personal growth. Are you growing? If not, why not? Let give you a second principle this morning. Number two, growth needs to be balanced. I say balanced because we tend to gravitate toward our strength. We gravitate toward our strength because that's what we're good at. It's easier for us. Now, there's five areas here in Luke chapter 2. You'll look there. The Bible says that Jesus increased in wisdom. There's intellectual growth. Jesus grew in his mind. Some of these things I can't fully explain to you because I'm not God. But he limited himself willingly, though he was full deity. He lived his life in dependence upon the Spirit of God. But he grew in these areas. He had to learn to write. In Luke 2.47, the Bible says, All that heard him, he's speaking to these theologians, he's 12 years old. All that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. Jesus increased intellectually in wisdom. Uh, this past year, did, did, you, did you grow intellectually? Did you grow in your learning? I, I wrote some things down here. Um, this past year, how much did you read? I had a staff member one time that said, uh, I just don't like to read. I said, well, you need to read. Now, you don't have to read as much as others, but you need to read. And they learn to love to read. And you may not read as much as others, but you need to learn to read. And today they make these books where you can listen to them. Most men don't like to read. Okay? But you can listen to books. You need to get some new ideas in your mind. Study. Did you study some things? Do you have a teachable spirit? All these things have to do with this. Do you apply what you read? It's not just enough to read. Are, are you in the application aspect? Because you really don't grow till you apply it. Are you reading in, in new dimensions, in new areas? And I'm not talking about forbidden areas. But again, in, in new areas. Uh, have you taken on a, a new hobby, something that's, that's different than what you usually do? Do you learn from the experiences of others? Are you interested in others? Maybe not from books, but you... Well, what do you do? Well, how do you do that? Well, when you do your job, are you interested in what other people do? I've taught you this before, but some of you like to read. But if all you do is read, that's not going to help you. You've got to reflect. I learned this from Howard Hendricks, and it really helped me. He said, let's say you read 30 minutes a day. He said, rather than reading 30 minutes a day, break that up. Read 20 minutes and reflect for 10 
If you read an hour today, read 40 minutes and reflect 20. And so step back from that, buy your little notebook, and just, okay, what did I just read about? What are the takeaways from that? Okay, what are the so what's? What am I going to do? Now what's? What am I going to do from that? How am I going to apply that? Tell somebody. Share somebody with somebody. Share it with your spouse. Share it with your children. Put it in a place where you can get it. Create a file somewhere. Jesus grew intellectually. Number two, he grew physically. Jesus increased in stature. Luke 2.52. The Bible says he was 12 years old here. This includes things like uh, your health condition, flexibility, endurance, strength, getting a checkup. You know, the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7, to exercise yourself unto godliness. The word exercise means uh, it has to do with, with output, doing something to become a godly person. But then in verse 8, it says bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things. Because of that verse, some have said, well, I don't exercise because it's not profit. It's just profitable a little, but it doesn't say not at all. The Bible says it is profitable, but it, it, you need to really be exercising in your godliness, but along with that, in your physical realm. Take care of that spiritually. Jesus increased in favor with God, He grew spiritually. Again, I, I don't understand all of these things, but he gave attention to his inner man, to his heart, though he was God. He cultivated these things. He learned dependence. Of, the Bible says he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And in Luke chapter 1 and verse 8, this is amazing to me. It talks about John the Baptist. It says, And the child, speaking of John the Baptist, grew, and he waxed strong in spirit, small s. Wax strong in spirit. The same phrase is used of Jesus in Luke 2.40. And Jesus, a child, grew and he waxed strong in spirit. And he was filled with wisdom. The grace of God was upon him. Are you waxing strong in spirit? Small s. Not just with the Holy Spirit, but in your inner man. To me, this is, this is part of being a parent. You can't do this for your children. But you can create an environment for them to be able to do this. This includes things like conquering habits, overcoming besetting sins, Bible reading, studying the Bible, which is different than reading the Bible. Some of you have never studied the Bible. There's a lot of helps out there to help you do that. Memorizing the Bible. Some of you have never memorized the Bible. You ought to do it this year. Meditating upon the Bible, which presupposes you've memorized it. Praying, worshiping, evangelism, your spiritual life, attending church, ministry, getting involved in serving others, discipleship, discipling others, being baptized. Some of you have not been baptized. Forsaking sin, repentance, restitution, living by faith, tithing. All of these things have to do with your spiritual life. Jesus increased in these areas. He wasn't the same. He, he increased. Are you increasing? And then Jesus increased socially. 
Luke 2.52, he grew in favor with man. You know, one of the marks of godliness is, is just loving people. Not just loving God. I know people profess to love God, but they don't like people. It was said of Samuel, in 1 Samuel 2.26, the child Samuel grew on and was in favor both with the Lord and also with men. Also with men. Where some of you need to grow, you just need to grow in your relationships with people. You need to learn how to write a thank you note. I mean, how to write one. First of all, you need to learn to write one. Just do it. And then second, learn how to write a good one. It takes time. You need to learn how to be warm. You need to learn to look at people. You talk to them. You need to learn to listen to people. Work on your attitude. Forgiving people. Dealing with bitterness. Expressing love. Not just feeling it in your heart, but telling people. Becoming a better friend. Working on smiling. Are you serious? Absolutely. I'm, I'm as serious as I can be. He grew in favor with man. There was an approachability to Christ. Children loved him. These are things we have to grow in. I could say so much here. Even my own struggles and how I've had to learn with this. As an introvert, I understand this. And then in his family, the Bible says Jesus was talking to these theologians. Notice in verse 47 of Luke 2, Jesus, all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. When they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee. Sorrowing, Remember, they left him for several days. They didn't know where he was. They had to come back to Jerusalem and find him. And Jesus said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that it must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spoke unto them. And notice this, notice this response that Jesus had to his parents. He was 12 years old. Wasn't even a teenager. And Jesus went down with them and came to Nazareth. That's where they were living. And was subject unto them. They didn't understand the will of God for his life. But he was submissive to his parents. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. She began to grow in her understanding of the mission there. In relationship to his family. You see, you see these five areas intellectually, physically, spiritually, socially, and in family. And there are other areas. I'm just kind of taking from the text here. How, how are you different in these areas from a year ago? Don't gravitate toward your strength. Principle number three, growth is motivated by discontentment. By discontentment. I preached a message last month on contentment. And I believe in contentment. I believe happiness is related to contentment. But we usually get, there is a holy discontentment. We get contentment backwards. Listen carefully. We ought to be contented with what we have and discontented with what we are. We get it backwards. Contented with what I have and discontented with who I am a little bit. But usually I'm contented with who I am 
and discontented with what I have. And I'm very unhappy about that. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 through 14, Brethren, I count myself not to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. And these had to do with successes in his life, his education. He said, I, was, I had the very best education. These are not failures if you read the text. And I forget the, the best things that have happened to me. I'm going to reach forward unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You'll never grow until you become discontented. Number four, growth requires a strategy. It requires a strategy. I've told you before, the hope is not a strategy. Well, I, ho- I hope this year will be better. Well, that's not a strategy. I hope I can be more friendly. Well, that's not a strategy. You need to spend some time writing down some ideas, some goals. And those five areas above or maybe some financial areas or whatever, you can add some to that or your professional life and so forth. I just gave you five this morning. But ask God what he wants you to focus on. Don't overload it with 15 things. Maybe just one thing, two things in each area. One will be sufficient. Say, God, help me to increase in this area. What do you want me to do? There's a statistic that's, that's held pretty static. And here's the stat that only 3% of people write down goals. Listen, only 3% of people write down, have written goals. But they accomplish more than the 97% of all the other people put together. That there is power in a written goal. Don't worry about the plan. One reason we don't write down a goal is we don't know how we're going to achieve it. But you're putting the cart before the horse. You get with the Lord, say, Lord, what do you want me to do about this area? Give me some insight. Birth in me a desire. And then and, and, and the clarity will come later. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 3. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. Now I would reverse the order. Secular thinking would commit thy thoughts unto the Lord, and thy works shall be established. We want the plan first. And then the action comes. God says, no, you give me your thoughts, and then I'll give you the plan. Here, you come to me with the intention. You come to me with your heart, and then I will give you the wherewithal. But in all of this, something has got to change in your schedule. One man said this. I like this. He said, the secret of success is found in your daily schedule. The secret of success is found in your daily schedule. You've got to change is something you do every day. Remember uh, when uh, I said, okay, I, I want to read broadly. I sat down and I wrote a list of, of uh, category of books, biographies, uh, counseling, ministry specialties in, in different areas. wrote those down. Then I, I, I got different books that were in those categories. And then I signed the days that I was going to read those books. I didn't just say, okay, stick them in a pile over here. and say, well, I'll read them when I get to them. Somebody asked me a couple months ago, they said, well, how many books do you read? That's why I've never counted them. I have no idea. But I said, I know at one time, I'm like an ADD reader. 
I just, I, I read a bunch. But now you don't have to do this, but this is the way that I've done it because I want these different things because I'm a preacher. And when I stand before you and I give illustrations, I, I need some fresh stuff. And so I, I read from different sources and I read from different streams. And that helps me. It helps me grow. That's why I do that. I went to my 20th high school reunion. I met a guy I played football with. He went on to be the strength coach at the University of Alabama. And uh, we reignited our friendship. He was a good friend. And I said, I, I need you to help me get in shape. I guess I was 38 years old. And he said, yeah, I'll help you. And he sent me this real detailed thing. He said, on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you do this. On Tuesday and Thursday, you do this. We had a gym about two miles from our house. And so for 30 minutes, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I went up to that gym. And so I walked two miles. And my goal was to walk those two miles in 13 or 14 minutes. And uh, that's just my pace. And so every two miles for five days a week. And then... uh, Monday, I did a certain uh, routine. Tuesday was different. Wednesday, et cetera, et cetera. And during those, that season of my life, as an adult, I was in the best shape of my life. Because it was consistent. Something changed in my daily schedule. Some of you have never memorized scripture. You never, never memorized a chapter. The way you memorize a chapter is you take a verse every day and you memorize it. Memorize one verse. Memorize half of the verse. Read it in the morning. Read it at noon. And go to sleep with it. That's what you'd like to say you go to sleep with. You'll memorize a chapter in the Bible. You'll memorize a book in the Bible. Our staff, uh, years ago, memorized the book of James. All five chapters of the book of James. And that's the way we memorized it. We've memorized many chapters of the Bible that way. But you just did that. You want to read the Bible every day, you do the same thing. It has to be it has to be something in your daily schedule, but you can't be lazy about it. What are three things if you accomplish in the next twelve months would give you the greatest return? You know, you gotta get on that. This is not just a motivational rah-rah thing. The time is fleeting. I put a thing on Facebook last year. I may do it tonight. I don't know. But a year from now, you wish you had. A year from now, you wish you had. We overestimate what we can do in a week, but we underestimate what we can do in a year. But that's qualified in that you do just a little bit every day. Number five, and this is the last thing I'll give to you real quickly. Growth is gradual. It's gradual. It compounds. In fact, you can't even see it, but other people can see it. You'll feel like, man, I'm not growing. Somebody will see you six months later and say, wow, they've really grown. They know the Bible. Their spirit has changed. They have such a sweet spirit. They're so much nicer. They're so much warmer. There's a friendliness to them. They're more engaging. You may not notice it, but they will. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, we all with open face 
beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory. Glory to glory. Romans 1.17, therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. Faith to faith. John 1.16, and of Christ's fullness have we all received, and grace for grace. Glory to glory, faith to faith, grace for grace. I've taught you this so much, but you're going to pay now. You need to pay now and play later. Rather than play now and pay later. Either way, you're going to pay. But if you pay later, you're going to pay more. Pay on the front end. I paid a lot in Bible college. I don't mean with money, but in my classes. I listened. Because I listened when I got out. I still had to study. I had other friends that goofed off. They were way behind the eight ball. I'm not better than them. I just paid. I listened. I went to my professors. I sat down with them, asked them questions. I was way ahead. I'm grateful for that. God was kind to me to help me with that. I've seen other friends, mutual friends, and and be frank, they've never caught up. You're going to pay now, and you play later. But if you play now, you're going to pay later. One man prayed, and he said, I... When I was young, my prayer to God was, Lord, give me the energy to change the world. But as I approached middle life, I realized that my life was half gone without my changing a single soul. I changed my prayer, Lord, give me the grace to change all those who come into contact with me, just my family and friends, and I'll be satisfied. Now I'm an old man, and my days are numbered. And I've begun to see how foolish I've been. Now my prayer is, Lord, give me the grace to change myself. If I just prayed this right from the start, I would not have wasted my life. Friends, your growth is not just about you. It's about God using you to your potential. Last night I I was thinking about a sample. This is not in detail. About people that, that paid that they paid a price for me. And incrementally, they took stuff away little by little. Many of them are old. Some of them are in heaven. I, I grew intellectually because of one man, was because of Wyma Porter. Wyma Porter taught me the Word of God. He learned daily and took things away daily. And his life affected me deeply. You see, growing people affect other people. He wasn't lazy. He's 95 years old. And he has changed my life. On a social level, I think about Bobby Lockwood, who died when he was 50 years old. Bobby loved people deeply. Bobby wept easily. When you looked at him, he'd look at you. He remembered your name. He cared about you. Bobby was a great man. God used him in my life. On the spiritual level, I think about J.G. McAnally, who walked with God daily, every day. He got saved in his 60s, and 
10 years after he got saved, he went to heaven because of cancer. But he walked with God every day, and he, God changed, he changed my life through Mac. In the physical realm, I think about my friend Richard. He helped me stay in shape, especially in those years. Richard worked out every day, and he paid a price when nobody was looking. And he helped me. This is not to mention my parents, who have influenced me in many, many areas. As we close today, remember your growth will increase your impact, but failing to grow will reduce your impact. This this coming year is not about you. It's about the kingdom of God. But if you just kind of fold your hands and say, Okay, sirrah, sirrah, well, I'll just take it. Maybe I'll make some money, and I'll just go through life with a dull knife. And I'm not concerned about my impact. But if you will, if you will... Find some things in those areas, just a handful of stuff. Say, God, I need to do better in this area. And I want you to help me sharpen this area so that I can so that I can know my purpose and grow to my maximum potential so I can sow seeds that will deeply impact others. At the end of 2019, you say, this has been a good year because I helped some people. Should bow your head with me, okay?